Greetings, programs, and welcome to a new episode of the Awesome Friday Podcast, the podcast where we review two new things every week. My name is Matthew, and with me as always is Captain Hot Takes. How are you, Captain Hot Takes? <laughs> That's Mr. Hot Takes to you, thank you. I, I think, I think I Captain ten, works better. I didn't spend 10 years in Mr. School just to be called <laughs> Captain Hot Takes. Um, uh, I, I'm fine. I, I get the feeling if you like the two movies that we're going to talk about today, you might have more Hot Takes to add to the pile. Um, I'm okay. I, I am sleepy and grumpy and my filter's off. So good luck. Good luck, everyone. Um, well, that'll make for, I, for a good episode, I think. Uh, yeah, I, it, it always does, doesn't it? I... When um, when British sarcasm is dialed up to a hundred, then you know you're in for a good ride. That's for sure. Um, I'm okay. I have been playing a video game. Ooh. <laughs> this is my big news. I bought a Steam Deck, by the way. It's really good, but not on the Steam Deck. I've been playing the new Plague Tale uh, game, which uh, fills the screen with up to thirty thousand rats. There's a fact for you. I'm not sure if you know this franchise, but it's one of them. I, I do not. Should it's I know like, this franchise? Uh, Plague Tale Innocence is about a, a French girl called Amicia who uh, basically protects her little brother who has this blood disease that help, that um, makes him attract and then control rats. And of course, the uh, it's 1800 France and all the, um, the church are after him. And it's a wonderful game about protection. And this is the sequel, and basically, it's a horror game with tons of rats in it. So, if you like, if you like or dislike rats, this is the game for you. It's very, very good. So, the main um, character is like Rat Catcher from from Suicide Squad. No, no, uh, no. The main character is the big sister Amicia, and for ninety nine percent of the last game, the rats were enemies, and then, of course, at the end, the the little boy finds a way to control them, but he's now lost that, so they're enemies again. So, it's uh, they are. Have a look at some videos because it's basically a wave of rats uh, and it is disgusting and terrifying. And um, it's a great, uh, it's one of those occasions where I think they they worked out the technical aspect of doing it, of, of having this. I, I would be very interested if they designed it as water and then just gave it lo- lots of little rat attributes for the water because yeah, it feels like waves. Um, it feels like they designed that and then thought, well, let's make a game around it. And then they made this really amazing game around it. And um, I love third person stories with a protection angle. I think that's really my kind of thing. Some light puzzling and beautiful graphics. And that's what this is. So I've been playing a bit of that and a bit of this, but honestly, not enough that I'm really past the first couple of hours. Because I've been watching other things, two of which we'll be talking about today. What have well, you that's been watching? Fun. Um, yes. It's October, so I've been watching. If anyone is following my Letterboxd, which feel free to do that, um, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of horror movies with my wife, which has been quite good. I also recently received the Criterion um, Godzilla Showa era uh, collector's edition mm-hmm. set thing, and I finally I received that last week, and I finally cracked it open and started watching Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla today. And uh, I how much, uh, how much did you pay for that? No, oh, I in, in total, you know, I um, I understood that it was a lot of money, and then I looked how much it was in the sale and realized you didn't buy it in the sale. No, I bought it before the sale, I didn't know the sale was coming. And also, when I realized I actually had 60 or 70 dollars worth of gift cards, 
So it wasn't so bad, but it wasn't as good as if I had known the sale was coming. But it's like one movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I what I it's um... beautiful. It's beautiful though. Like I got, I've, I've seen, I think, I think all almost all of them before, and mm. I've never seen them look like. <laughs> like I know people who are listening to this who are like cinephiles are like gonna call me an idiot, but like there really is a difference between yes. high quality streaming yes. and even just a regular Blu-ray. Like yes. it is so much better. It really is. But also and, Criterion do really good Blu-ray transfers, and there is that is a thing. Like poor poor piss poor transfers to Blu-ray, unfortunately, is a thing because we watched um, Stardust last night with the kids, which is a wonderful movie for the most part. Uh, but the Blu-ray transfer was awful, just grainy and noisy, and all the darks were fuzzy as hell, and it, that annoys me as well because Blu-ray was meant to be the chosen one. <laughs> um, I mean, it was never going to be though. Like, there's always something else coming. But you're right. Like, there's definitely a lot of them that were just like, yeah, let's just flip the upscale switch and yeah, and, like, on a DVD. Like, it's not yeah. great. Which, on the one hand, is like. Sure, it created this market for like boutique resellers who do remastering and special editions with special features. But the downside is that those are all awesome and fucking expensive. Yes. So, like, yeah. like, I don't know if anyone else has bought anything from Criterion, especially here living in Canada, where I don't want to say how much I spent on this Godzilla okay. thing. And I will say that I don't regret it. But also, I had to pay like 50 bucks in duty or something. I don't remember what it was, it was a week ago. But, like, I got hit with a duty charge because DHL at the border. And I'm just so tired of that. I'm so tired. I like, when I bought my lightsaber and I didn't know that paying for duty was a thing. And I thought I was being scammed at the door. I'm like, what do you mean? You're, what do you mean I have to pay more now because it came from there? <laughs> don't you know yeah. where I'm from? <laughs> we don't pay extra. Well, the annoying thing is that, like, and I'm sure there's a reason for it. And maybe someone who's listening can tell me, but... Like it does to me because I've put no effort into researching why it happens, but it does seem fairly arbitrary as to when and where it happens. Like, because I've bought other expensive stuff from the states and not had to pay duty, and I so I'm pretty sure the answer is that part of this is that certain courier companies whose names start with a D and rhyme with VHL just collect the extra fees because they can, and yeah, yeah. I've I've been in that boat as well for sure, but it's worth it. Your that box set is gorgeous. It's gorgeously put together, and I oh yeah, it's great. Surprised me that the the transfers are good as well, and that's a real like that's a real keeper. And not that you'd ever sell it, but those things hold their value really well as well because they, they are just so well put together. Yeah, and I'm at a point where like you know when I was young and stupid, I basically was like, yeah, digital's the future. So I don't really have a lot of physical media stuff and now i really take quite a lot of care when i do buy a, an actual thing and so like i i i wouldn't i wouldn't have bought it if i wasn't going to be confident that it was going to be gorgeous and it is i've actually stopped buying digital films completely uh, yeah i mean you're I, in the right I, camp i subscribe to so many places as well so usually if i want to watch something it's around but if i love a movie i buy it on blu-ray or even my 4K collection is growing quite nicely, actually. And I um, I totally fell into that trap as well of thinking that uh, accessibility was was key. And then there's been so many stories about people moving countries and, and large chunks of their movie collection just disappearing. And even uh, 
with all the stuff that's going on with HBO and everything that's been gutted from uh, HBO because of Warner Brothers, and it's gone. Like there's some series of uh, animations where yeah, they, never, gone. They, they never got a DVD or a Blu-ray. But I don't think, obviously, no, no, no one's getting a DVD. But it's gone forever because they've just wiped it, so they don't have to pay residuals. And so you've got years of work for all these people, and it's just gone. And it's almost like they want people to pirate again. Do you know what I mean? It's almost yeah. feels like they want people to do this again. So um, it's funny. Know. It's funny too. Like the most recent example. And to be clear, if you're listening in Canada or the United States, which is where, where most of our listeners are, like this movie, as far as I understand, is staying on Netflix. But a great horror movie from a couple of years ago called His House, which is a, a British movie that premiered on Netflix, is leaving Netflix in the UK. It was a BBC co-production, um, and I guess Netflix let the license there elapse or something, but either way, it's leaving Netflix at the end of this month, and there's apparently, as of this recording, there's no plans for a physical release or any other kind of streaming debut. It's just gone. It'll just be gone on October 30th as of right now, yeah. which is a shame, because if you live in the UK, that's a great movie, and you should totally watch it, and it has a lot to say about the immigrant experience in your country. Yeah, I've not heard of that, but I'm just looking at it now. I'd like to see that. Yeah, it's but super the, good. The, the things are, just feel like they're more disposable now as well. Like they are, they're here for the metrics. They get the metrics for the first couple of weeks, and then they either get buried or, in many cases, now completely just removed. It's very I mean, it's, yeah. And it's it's yeah, it's sad. Anyway, I'm just I'm just I'm just old enough to remember when the promise of the digital future was that everything would be easy to access everywhere, and the companies who could have made that possible decided to make it harder, and that is annoying. I yeah, streaming, which was an alternative to cable, is now just cable under another name because everyone yeah. wants a slice of the pie, and so Lord knows I've already got way too many different services, and the annoying thing is that they've all got something on them that either me or my family watch so but at this point it doesn't matter the only thing we'd keep if we got rid of them all is discovery so we could watch bobby flay every night because we're the um we're big fans of the bobby flay cinematic universe and everything he um everything he creates so um well he has a pretty compelling presence on food tv (laughs) if he's if if it turns out that he's a total asshole please nobody tell me because i enjoy his shows (laughs) and i don't don't want to have to stop I don't think it'll be hidden. I know one thing I really like about him is that he's really, really New York when he gets into it. When he gets stressed, he goes really like Brooklyn. <laughs> and yeah. I really like hearing that. He just sounds very authentic to me. Okay, yeah. what, should we, what should we talk about today? Bobby Flay? Oh, yeah, we're just. Season 21 of Beat Bobby Flay? Sure. We're, we're just cutting off the banter here, hey? <laughs> I, I love it. I, I, I Eleven like minutes. They must proceed. I'm the. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of uh, going down banter street far too long. So I'm trying to bring it back. Otherwise, I'll just sit here and just talk. <laughs> That's totally fair. We should make that a different podcast on the feed. Uh, yeah. So we're talking about two movies this week, and we're going to talk about. Um, I think maybe the maybe lesser known is the wrong word, but we're going to talk about the the more regional hit. That is coming out uh, on Apple TV Plus. As of this writing, it actually, as of this writing, as of this recording, it should actually be on Apple TV Plus already. It is the Ethan Hawke and Ewan McGregor starred, starring uh, Raymond and Ray, which is a 
dramatic film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it when you go like forties transatlantic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Welcome to our dramatic film. Yeah, it's a dramatic film with two brothers. Two brothers seeking to come to terms with the death of the father. <laughs> what secrets will emerge in Raymond and Ray? Yeah, that's actually pretty much it. That's the whole pitch. It's two, two estranged, well, not estranged, but two half-brothers who are, you know, if they weren't half-brothers, they probably wouldn't be friends. And because they are half-brothers, they share this bond that's been forged by their abusive father's abuse. And they get the news that their father has passed and they go to the funeral together, and it turns out that their father's dying wish is that they would dig his grave together, and the rest of the movie is them doing that. And secrets are revealed, and other connections are revealed, and slowly but surely, both characters come to terms with their father's demise and the influence on their lives. Spoilers? Whoa! I mean, because no one would see any of that coming if they haven't ever seen any movies ever. Or the trailer for this movie, or read the marketing for this movie. <laughs> like, you know, this, this is a movie where, like, by the end of it, you will be like, of course that's where it ended, because that's where these movies end. Yeah. Uh, you know, where, you know, the journey is the point, friends. It's, uh, uh, yes. so the question is, is the journey any good? And I will say it's totally fine. It's ad absolutely adequate. How do you feel about it, Simon? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's a weird movie because th there's one big twist which comes exactly where you expect the big twist to come. I wouldn't comes... say that, I wouldn't characterize any single moment well, in this that's what I mean. as it's, a twist. It wants it to be a big twist, and when it happens, you're like, well, of sure, well, of course. I mean, it's that kind of movie. If you've ever seen movies where family connections slowly get revealed then you will not be surprised by any part of this movie at all. Yeah, that's um, fair criticism. I think... Uh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to... My coda to that statement was, unfortunately, uh, none of it is done very well at all. Like, mm. the, the, the writing and the direction is so heavy-handed, and as you said to me... Oops, I bashed my microphone. Um, no almost everyone feels completely unreal. Like there's no, um, you can't have any emotional uh, connection with anything going on because it's so heavy handed. It's written in such a way that nobody says anything. Well, and actually nobody's not true, but almost nobody says anything that sounds remotely like what a human would say in that situation. Do you know what I mean? I do. I sort of disagree because I feel like for a story that's called Raymond and Ray, it's about a pair of brothers who are ostensibly co-protagonists of the film. One of them feels like a human being and the other one does not. One of them feels like a rough draft of a human being, uh, perhaps. Or at least the script he's given feels like the, you know, a draft or two away from being. And I'm tempted to, I mean, I think that, sorry, Ewan, but I'm, I don't, I don't think the performance was was great, but I do think he didn't really have very good material to work with either, as compared especially to Ethan Hawke, who is really good in the movie, I thought. Um, and yeah. him him and the manic trick pixie dream girl he gets to interact with both feel like human beings to me. And there's a there's a moment where... Um, the nurse, not the manic pixie. The, the, nurse. Oh, the nurse is totally... She's a manic pixie dream nurse as well. Oh. <laughs> She's just played by... 
She's just played by Sophie Okonedo instead of uh, um, the other lady who's, yeah, Maribel Vadu. She, and it's interesting because there's definitely a moment where that could have ruined that for me that uh, I think a lesser mo- movie probably would have done um, right towards the end. There's a moment where it could have, that whole dynamic could have been really ruined. And I think it took the, the, the braver choice in that one instance. But uh, Ray, Ethan Hawke's Ray, uh, who is the of the two brothers? He's the one who wears his like anger and abuse on his sleeve, um, and like represses the rest of his emotions. And he feels like a real, true human being. And Ewan McGregor's comp- uh, Raymond, who is supposed to be the super re- like he's also been super abused as a child and as an adult by his father, and is supposed to be this like. He's supposed to be have this like it feels like he's supposed to have this really super repressed rage that pops out every once in a while, but he doesn't play it that way at all, and I don't think it's written that way at all either. So when it does happen, um, it feels totally out of place, and like it'd be it's interesting because like I, I think I think I said to you earlier this week that like it wouldn't take that many changes to make it believable, like just take out one or two of the earlier eruptions or make him angrier in general angrier and in more denial and like that's a pretty not a, not a very big change when you consider the storyline of the movie so we, there's two problems here i don't disagree with anything you're saying the, f- the first problem is it this is not a good film uh, in terms of its writing or direction but ethan hawk is absolutely phenomenal in in his role yeah, uh, and he his role is the only one that is written with any kind of believability, or it's either that or he's just much better at this in this movie than Ewan McGregor is because I think it the major problem with Ewan McGregor's character, yeah, the script he's underwritten and he's written poorly, but Ewan McGregor this is this is not a good performance by him. His line delivery is is really off, like it doesn't. He's he's a really intelligent actor who knows about pauses and thinking time and and effective delivery, and it's not on display here at all. Now I don't know if that's a direction thing. It sounds like he's struggling with his accent for the whole thing. He's got an American accent and he is fighting that accent every step of the way. And it just uh, I it got to the point when we got in the last third of the movie we kind of cut between Ethan Hawke and his nurse friend uh, played really well by Sophie Oconedo. Um And their story actually for a, a small moment felt like one of these Ethan Hawke two-handers like the Sunrise movies where it was just watching their um, these two, this very bruised and battered person kind of slowly open up. And then we cut back to Ewan McGregor and, and his um uh, scenes with another woman, Lucia, and my heart just went, oh, God. Like, if only we didn't cut back. Because everything that Ewan McGregor does or says in this movie kind of ruins the movie, kind of makes the movie worse. And I don't... I, I think it's a combination of direction, performance, and script. He There was nothing for him. But at, at many, many points, I was thinking, would if if you'd put Oscar Isaac in this role, would it have been as bad? Like, if you put someone who had, like you say, 
tempered a bit of that anger and showed a bit of it or tempered it or so when it did erupt it was more believable would it have been as bad i just don't know i don't yeah it's not a good day you mcgregor did not have a good day on this film yeah i don't um i don't like to to do that sort of like what if other person thing i try to i tend to try to look for like why did this happen and you're right you mcgregor is actually a really good actor generally speaking um and i didn't really catch the i didn't really think he was fighting his accent i feel like he was maybe fighting direction as well i don't know i feel like he probably gave the director exactly what he was asked for but he was not happy about it (laughs) sort of my read um i think it didn't help i think a Another big problem, because I actually think that Ewan McGregor was really good in the first third or so of the movie when it was just him and Ethan Hawke. I thought him and Ethan Hawke together as sort of like Mm -hmm. two sides of this abused coin, I thought was really interesting. I thought they have really good and interesting chemistry and a really like palpable, shared but unspoken backstory and trauma like, you know, these sort of like terrible life experiences that bind people together. I thought that was all really well done. But then in the back half, when they sort of split off and end up with their respective manic pixie dream girls, um, again, like Sophie Okonedo feels like a real person and Maribel Verdu does not. <laughs> and I feel like the, like the combination of her being like, I'm sure there's a better term for it than manic pixie dream girl, but like, you know, she's the free spirited mid forties, sexually adventurous ex lover of the, and best friend of their father who spoiler alert, Ewan McGregor ends up pairing off with at the end of the movie. And like, it's such a, uh, like typical example of that, like man healed by free woman trope. And he's so underwritten and she's so stereotypically written that none of it really works. Whereas like Hawk and uh, Okanedo at least feel like natural for most of their interaction. Like they feel like real human beings. So I sort of agree every time it in the back half, every time it cuts back to McGregor, I was kind of like, just get back to the good part of the story. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, totally. And then there's a whole, there's a whole subplot where like their father actually has a bunch of other sons and one of them makes sense to be there and two of them show up for reasons. Like I, I guess they needed more hands to dig the hole. Like I don't make it more entertaining. I, do you know what? I think that there was one kind of interesting aspect that everyone else who knew the father, there's, there's like a thread all the way through that these two boys hated the father because it's clear that the father abused them, but everyone they speak to loved their father and the two boys, the younger uh, acrobat sons they meet uh, even though they didn't they didn't know him they're like mirror reflections of what they could have been if they hadn't been suffered their father's abuse and but it's never really like taken anywhere it's a really interesting yeah. idea of they got all the abuse and nobody else did so they that should make them more angry and tied together more or that should be that's a really interesting thread and it's just not followed as is you McGregor's like supposed OCD at dealing with going back to the father's home is used uh, in the once in the middle of the movie and then referenced as the final gesture of the movie at a time 
where it's it's indicated that he does it because he feels unsafe. But at the end of this movie, he's resolved his arc. He's safe with Lucia and the father has gone. So it doesn't make sense for, for that to still be happening. It's just yet another underdeveloped idea in this movie. Yeah, kind of frustrating. And like I say, ultimately, I think it was fine. Like, I think if you're going to sit down and watch a movie on a Sunday with your dad, you could definitely do worse. Um, but it's not great. It's just fine. It's just fine. It's fine. I think it's probably if you're if you like Ethan Hawke, uh, you should probably watch the movie. How about that? I would agree. I mean, the stars I'm going to give this film are purely for Ethan Hawke's performance, who he is a brilliant actor. And I actually think he's he's getting better like every year. And he's always been good, but I think he's really like found something else as he's got into the stage of his life now where he's not young and beautiful anymore. And he, he is able to play, you know, this, the, the, the Ray, his Ray had so much pain. And when that pain is exposed and um, defined, it, you can really see it in him. And, and it's, it's really weird to dislike a movie so much and yet have this performance that blows you away. And there's my favorite scene of the whole movie, I think, is when he is in the bar with um, Sophie Okanedo and they're uh, just just talking about his wife and uh, he what he orders and they're kind of just chatting and it feels really real and, mm-hmm. and lots of little things get exposed. And then the movie goes back to giant, heavy-handed, like, twists and turns and it's to stop and i will say as well i know this is a very me thing because i am completely defined by music in all aspects <laughs> everything games movies like life music is it really controls how i feel about something and this movie is has one of the main themes is jazz music it's ray's thing is that he's an ex-jazz player and so you can guess what happens at the end and so, but the jazz music that is used to underscore some of the very deep and serious, even dialogue scenes, is like upbeat jazz. And it just, it sounds like someone has pressed play on the wrong tape dubbing these scenes. It's completely, completely wrong. And it, I think that's it, a very me thing. Honestly, no, I don't disagree. I would say that the problem isn't, is actually that like occasionally it works. Like if it never worked, at least it would be interesting. But occasionally it does. Occasionally, it's the right choice. Like a stop clock is right twice a day, you know. And occasionally, uh, the I, and to be clear, I think Jeff Beale's score on its own is actually quite good. Yeah, yeah oh, it's lovely. Uh, it's just that, like, yeah, the like tone that underscores each scene is is often sort of incongruent. <laughs> like you're right. Like most of the time, you're like, why is this like we're at a funeral, sir? Like it's just, it's, uh, but then, but then occasionally when it does work, you're like, yeah, that was really nice. I don't like, and that that's sort of like, that's sort of like a metaphor for the whole movie for me. It's like when it works, you're like, yeah, yeah, man, this is good. And then the rest of the time, you're like, what the fuck are you doing? There's one bit where Ethan Hawke is chatting up a girl in a in a like a convenience store in a in a gas station, and Ray's watching it because Ray doesn't. Uh, sorry, Raymond doesn't have the confidence of Ray and they're back in the car. And he's like, what were you doing there? Oh, McGregor's well, why would you, do- I won't do the accent. What were you doing there? And he's like, just talking. And then it comes out that his wife left him and it's all very 
grumpy and dark. And the soundtrack is... Yeah. <laughs> Just stop. Like, stop. It's it's um this movie, and I will say there are two moments of you, uh, uh, Ethan Hawke miming trumpet playing, and he does it twice, and the second time is great. The first time, it's laughably bad, where all the notes are changing and his fingers aren't moving at all. It's like magic trumpet blowing again. Yeah. This might be a me that might be a me problem. I actually was I I was wondering about this as well because I know that Ethan Hawke knows how to play the trumpet. Because I know he played Chet Baker and had and learned for that movie, um, so I was kind of I was wondering if maybe the music choice changed in that first scene. Like maybe he because he's he's pretty he's good in the second one. You're right, and I know he knows how to play that instrument. So I wonder if they like changed the selection, so he's playing one thing, but we're hearing another. Well, but, that's interesting. Maybe yeah. Anyway, maybe they like couldn't get the licensing rights, or maybe the director heard a different song that he wanted. I don't know what it, I I don't know. I don't have any inside. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I don't care. Yeah. This, I, I, I find it very hard to recommend this movie apart from one phenomenal performance. And I I don't know if that's a recommendation or not. I don't know. How many stars are you giving this? I don't know. I was set to give it three when we came into this conversation, but the more <laughs> the more that we the more that we talk about it, the more I think I might give it a two. Cause like I say, the like the stuff the stuff that works the stuff that worked for me did really work for me. And the stuff that didn't, I was like, Ugh, can we get back to the stuff that's working? It's like, yeah. it's like, I would argue, I'll give, I think I might still give it three. Cause I think that roughly speaking about three fifths of the movie works for me. Well, we'll that say would, that would be a three out of five. Then. So that would be a three out of five. <laughs> and basically that means that, you know, the first act before, before they get to the funeral works. And then from that point on, Ethan Hawke's story works for me. Um, and yet that comprises about three fifths of the movie and Ethan Hawke is super good. So yeah, we'll say three. Um, again, like if you need a movie to watch with your dad, or if you're a dad that has an adult son, like watch it on a Sunday afternoon. That's the kind of movie this is. And then honestly, and honestly, um, you'll probably just forget it next week when you do like i like i watched this movie three days ago and i'm struggling to remember some of the details so so it's like ever so barely a three out of five i think you're being extremely generous it's a two out of five and i should reduce it to a one out of five for the worst shot we're driving a car in a studio scene i think i've seen in modern filmmaking like the the least realistic dialogue in a car and honestly we're driving <laughs> like i've seen like children's programs do it more realistically um this is a two stars for me purely purely for ethan hawke's phenomenal performance uh, and yeah i think that's fair nothing nothing else yeah no i think i think three is i think three is too generous i think i'm gonna give it a two i think three is too generous oh, what have i done yeah. which is just it's a shame though because i like i really wanted to i really wanted like, I still think that I'm, I mean, I'm always on team, see it for yourself. So honestly, see it for yourself. But you're right. I think the the parts that don't work do basically, like, I think they're roughly equal with the parts that, the parts that do and don't work are roughly equal. So it would be two and a half out of five, which means for me, it's a two. So um, we don't do I halves. Want, 
I'm on team Time is Valuable, so don't watch this movie unless you want to see a great um, Ethan Hawke performance. Well, I mean, everyone should want to see a great Ethan Hawke performance, so there's that. There's so many to choose from, though. Go and watch Moon Knight. Go and watch Moon Knight, just because it's great. Or go and watch... Um, I actually thought he was one of my least favorite parts of Moon Knight, so yeah, maybe not. Yeah, well, yeah, well, maybe. Uh, what's a great Ethan Hawke movie? I haven't seen any of the sunsets or before. Sunset. Oh, all the befores are great. Uh, Training Day is great. Uh, oh, Sinister yeah. is great. He's great in the black phone. Um I mean, there's a lot to choose from. Yeah, there's a lot of great. Uh, Dead Poet Society, uh, Gattaca. Dead Poet Society. Oh, Gattaca's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else? Uh, I mean, Boyhood. I don't. I don't actually like Boyhood, but he's good in Boyhood. He's in Boyhood. He's yeah. the dad in Boyhood. Um, what else? He's been in so much stuff. He's a really prolific uh, actor. Uh, I haven't seen it actually, but uh, one of my biggest like canon gaps from the last couple of years is apparently he's wonderful in First Reformed, uh, which is meant to be like a great movie. Um, yeah, he's been working for a long time and he's put out a lot of great work. So yeah. you could, uh, you, there are definitely. Oh, he's in The Northman. You could watch The Northman, which I can't remember. I think you didn't actually really like, um, but he's in The Northman uh, and he's he's great in his small part in The Northman. He's he's the f- Who's he in the Northman? The father, right? He's the king. The yeah, king. he gets, he gets That's killed right. early oh, he's, on. But he's really, really good in that. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted the North, Northman to be more like the Green Knight, um, really. Um, but yeah, this is the dude who puts out, like, people make fun of uh, Nicolas Cage for putting out, like, three to five year uh, movies a year, but Ethan Hawke puts out three to five <laughs> movies a year. Like, he's he works a lot. Huh. Yeah. He's, in the, he's in The Purge, the first Purge. I didn't know that. Uh, well, to be clear, he's in the the first Purge movie, not the movie called oh. The First Purge. But yes, he is. <laughs> is there really a movie called The First Purge? There is, yeah. That's fantastic. It's like the fourth. I don't know. It's one of them. Um, but yeah. Uh, and interestingly, that movie is the least interesting of the Purge movies for a couple of reasons. Um, but that's a whole other podcast. Are any of them interesting? Yes. Yeah, some of them are. Yeah, especially when they get very overtly like... Um, you know, the elites are doing this to the poors for reasons. Uh, they get really interesting, actually. Um, yeah. So, yeah, anyway, anyway, Ethan Hawke is great, and you should watch a movie that he stars in. Whether it's this one, I don't particularly care. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God, he played... I'm just looking at his work. He In 2013 to 2014, he played Macbeth on Broadway. Now, that would be a time travel thing to catch. And he did the Cherry Orchard and the Winter's Tale as well. He did a movie, I can't remember, like late 90s or early zeros. Hamlet? That was like Hamlet, but set in like a modern context. That's, that's right. That's super, that. super interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Huh. Okay, so yes, Ethan Hawke good, this movie bad. Yeah. Oh, watch it, watch it, your peril. Lord of War, he's in Lord of War, I love that movie. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Um, we have better things to talk about, uh, and we're going to move on now from the two-star Raymond and Ray to the stars to be determined uh, can film festival best director winning decision to leave. Oh, and Simon takes a deep breath. Captain Hot Takes, coming in hot. <laughs> it's going to be a very difficult film to talk about. Uh 
why don't you just give us a quick rundown on the <laughs> sure. the basic, the most basic version of the plot you can break down? And to be clear, folks, this is not an uncomplicated film. Uh, um, it's uh, yes, it's 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 written with nuance and and laced with subtlety, and uh, is twisty turny, twisty turny, and a bit timey wimey. And uh, yeah, go ahead, I, Simon. Tell us, tell us what you what you think it's about. If you, if <laughs> um, someone makes a decision to leave, yes, someone makes um, the choice to depart. Good, um, excellent. If you've if you've seen any like uh, Michael Douglas, Sharon Stone, late nineties like steamy erotic thrillers where the policeman investigates the wife of a man who uh, apparently died. Uh, through an accident, but you suspect that she might be a femme fatale and be involved, then it's basically that. Like, it's the, uh, there's a dead guy and it looks like he's had a, an accident and uh, uh, Park Hale is, uh, plays a, a police detective investigating um, the circumstances of this uh, man's death and he comes across uh, in, in the course of his detections um, the wife and he starts suspecting that she may have had a hand in his death and gets really involved in the case. <laughs> it's hard to really say too much because his, he, um, his marriage has lost its luster. He's working away from home a lot of the time. He's moving apart from his wife, and I think he... You've seen movies before where these middle-aged men see a spark somewhere else, even though the spark may actually be really dangerous and get drawn to that flame. Um, so uh, he basically becomes um, besotted with the details of this case, for better or worse, even when he knows he has crossed several lines in, in doing so. And the movie is kind of two halves, pretty uh pretty neatly carved into two halves which um paint a story of is it love is it betrayal is it real who's telling the truth who's lying and of course you find out um at the end it's not it's not left uh unexplained but i will say it i'm glad to hear it won the best director at Cannes because I stopped taking notes. Usually when I watch a film, I um, I write down a couple of scenes or moments that I think are particularly excellent, that really work for me. And I basically stopped in this movie because every frame of this film is so like amazingly composed. The direction of this film is mind-blowingly good. And the way that it mixes narrative styles into the film and it all fits together is mind-blowing. The, there's a number of theatrical tools that the director uses to bring uh, actors into scenes where they didn't actually exist, but they are part of the narrative. It's incredibly directed movie, like uh, astounding. And the fact that the entire movie is a bit uneven is exactly how I felt after Snowpiercer, which I know you like very much, but Snowpiercer incredibly directed really uneven i think that's uh probably going to be my uh, hot take on decision to leave as well i mean what did you think 
Um, I don't particularly disagree with anything you're saying, to be totally honest. Um, my, uh, <laughs> my hot take is that you say that it's very neatly cut into two halves and it's kind of not, it's kind of cut into like one third and two thirds, but in the wrong proportions. Uh, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's like overlong. I think that, I think I, I'm going to say that I'm going to come out quite positive on this film very generally, but it is, I felt that it was way too long. Yes, I agree. I, I think a perfect way to describe it is to take what you already said is to basically take basic instinct and then cross it with a noir film from like the, mm-hmm. you, you know, the late, like the late pre-code era or early code era and cross those two things together and then substitute in smartphones for cigarettes basically. And that's mm-hmm. this movie. Um, I've never seen a film use smartphones quite so effectively. Mm, yeah, yeah. And there's been a lot of really interesting takes on how to use smartphones in the past like decade. Um, but the way that like everyone is so connected, but also disconnected, it's very sort of astute for how we just are in the world. I think that the lead actors, um, Park Eel and Tang Wei, uh, as the detective and femme fatale respectively are both wonderful. Um, I think that all their scenes together have a very palpable sexual tension uh, and like emotional tension as well that mm. uh, a lesser movie would be one of those things, but not both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they're so, they're so wonderful in all their scenes together. And again, like you said, especially once, uh, Parker Eel's character, Detective Hejun, um, once he you know fully admits to himself that he's gone over a line, <laughs> like mm-hmm. things get a lot more interesting at that point uh, for a while. Anyway, um, I think it's a really good movie. I think it's definitely worth seeing. I think that the I've never seen. I can't. Sorry, I can't remember the last time I saw a scene with such precise cinematic choreography. Yeah. From, and then very it's early, story, yeah, a very early example of that is, you know, Heijun is staking out uh, So Ray, the main, the femme fatale, and he's looking at her from a car. She's in an apartment and he puts the, um, his binoculars up to his eyes and suddenly he's in the room and the camera movement like comes in on the binoculars and suddenly he's in the room. And then it, when it comes back to him in the car, there's a uh, shot past like it's a window or a mirror. I can't remember off the top of my head, but like it comes back to the binoculars coming away from his eyes and it is timed and choreographed flawlessly. Like it is so well directed. Um, So for all of these reasons, it's an amazing film. It's just a little too long. It is too long and a little too contrived. And I'm, I'm trying, I try really, really hard not to judge other culture movies by the western like three act structure but this really could have used a little tightening and shortening and i don't even think that like uh i don't even mind that it's contrived like i'm sort of fine with the idea that it's contrived it's just a little too long (laughs) i just don't know other words to say it there's just a little bit you know great films have a great balance of times where things are happening and times where everyone, the characters and the audience included together have time to breathe. And this film has too much time to breathe. Mm-hmm. It's, I would definitely recommend, recommend people watch it though, because the, 
there's one scene in particular that I actually stood stood up like out of shock that it was so good. And there's a, it's an interrogation scene where the camera uh, is static and it is it is on the right hand of the shot is Hajun, um, the detector. On the left hand, you've got Selray, the wife, and then you've got a uh, two way mirror and you see their reflections. And as they're interrogating, as the power of the conversation, because of course, in a very Sharon Stone way, she she kind of manipulates the conversation to say everything, nothing at the same time. It's really intelligently written. The forced focus changes, not just with the two of them, but also their reflection. So sometimes their reflection is in focus and nothing else is. Sometimes it's both their reflection. Sometimes it's both of them in the foreground. And it switches and changes as the as the conversation flows. And uh, just blew me away. Just yeah. absolutely expert, expert direction. And the whole thing, like cinematic choreography is a really excellent way to put it because the whole thing is like that. There is not a wasted frame or a wasted moment in this film. Yeah, that's... That, sorry. In, ter- in, ter- in terms of visual composition and direction, I agree there's... It, it has sometimes too much space on... It is too long. But also the second thing that really worked for me is that you've got to have... When you do a movie like this, we've seen many, many examples when this kind of movie was the big rage in the 90s where they tried to create recreate Sharon Stone and Michael Douglas. And the key is electricity, like dangerous electricity between your leads led from the woman to the man. Like the man is almost powerless to go along to drink this in. And uh, I thought um, Tang Wei was so like phenomenal in creating that same electric charge that was dragging in like a black hole, like he, uh, Asian could not escape her gravity and it it was again the directing direction as well but even just breathing close to each other and there's a moment where she is helping him sleep by describing a sleep technique and of course the visuals take us into that as well and it's phenomenal and there's there's one moment where she quietly shows him her wrist with um these like emerald buttons on her wrist while their respective husbands and wives are talking she just has a very quiet non-verbal just eyes moment with him and it is like electrifying <laughs> yeah it's so good so good yeah they're so good together but uh, again the the tension every kind of tension between them is phenomenal mm-hmm. and yeah what do you, yeah. um obviously we're not going to explain the ending but did you like the ending? Did you like the resolution? Uh, I I I respect it. I don't. <laughs> well, I I I think that it will be impossible to speak about without spoiling it. Sure. I yeah. I'm just looking for your like blanket opinion because yeah. I don't think I, I can even give that to be totally honest. <laughs> like I think it's. Because I think I will say that I think the last, as much as I'm saying the film is too long, I think that the last fifteen or twenty minutes maybe are kind of excellent. Maybe the best part of the movie, like the la- like for all I'm talking about how it's overlong, those last fifteen twenty minutes are like totally engrossing, and I don't want to spoil it at all. Yeah. Uh, except to say that it's I I yeah sure I'll say it's really good. It's a really 
it makes sense. And I, and I, you know, there's many ways it could have gone and the way it went makes sense to me and I'm fine with it. Sure. And I don't want to say anything else because it is so well executed. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Um, did you like it enough to give it, uh, like, I'm interested with your star balance. Like, is this because it's so well done? Oh, is this, a four, this, is, this is a four star, four star movie for me. Oh, okay. There we go. Yeah. Uh, I think that it was a bit tighter. It might be five. I don't, but based on the, based on the technical execution alone, um, I don't think it was ever going to be, I don't think it could have been below like a three, but uh, between the, between the technical ex- execution and the absolute fire between the leads yeah. Yeah. and just the power of each of their respective performances, like it's, it's, it's four. It's at least four. I, four. I totally agree. I, and honestly, I watched the first 45 minutes before I had to go and do something else. And I was just speechless. I'm a huge Hitchcock fan. I studied Hitchcock as part of my film training in university. So it's very, very uh, significant to me, that kind of Hitchcockian noir mystery style movie. And I've, I've never really thought anyone's made movies like Hitchcock. We've had lots of those kind of style movies, but there's something about his, his pace and his framing and his delivery and his, his, camera play as well and i watched the first 45 minutes i'm like oh my god this could be like a modern hitchcock this is that quality the 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 creativity in how this is unfolding is so mind-blowing and visually i just want to roll in it (laughs) you know we just want to be absorbed into it and it's a shame that the rest of the movie kind of dampened that a bit for me but um the the that first hour is phenomenal I think. Yeah. And it's weird too, because as much as I'm saying that it's a little over long, I also don't really know what I could, what you could cut really. Mm, not to, yeah, to tell the story that way you'd be, you'd struggle, I think. Yeah. So, I don't so know. But yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a full from me as well, for sure. Four, yeah, four stars decision to leave. Uh, I would say if you were, if you were a betting man or woman or anything in between, uh, <laughs> Uh, and you wanted to say which Asian movie will be heavily represented at the Oscars this year, you, I think you have a pretty much a 50-50 split with this one in Broker. And I kind of, based on the direction, I haven't seen Broker, but based on the direction, mm-hmm. I would put money on Park Chan Wook getting some recognition. Well, especially as it feels a little bit late as well. I haven't seen Hadmain, by by all accounts and purposes, that should have been um, Oscar- um, that should be put forward for the Oscars as well. I know, obviously, Parasite did brilliantly, and it is a brilliant movie and raised the profile even further of Korean cinema. Um, but uh, well, I, I feel like it's deserved if this well, did get a nod. Park Chan Wook is also like, um, he's not exactly uninfluential. Like, we're talking about the guy who made Old Boy, <laughs> like, yeah, which yeah. is probably the first. South Korean film that most of us white folks were like, oh shit, that guy can make a movie. Um, and between that and Sympathy for Lady Vengeance and mm-hmm. uh, Stoker, I really liked Stoker. Um, like he has made a lot of good movies, and one could argue he's overdue for some more yeah. recognition. 
Yeah, totally. I wouldn't be surprised, and I wouldn't be angry if this won the 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 Oscar. It's purely, I mean, technically, it, it deserves it completely. Yeah. Well, good. Okay, well, let's good. let's wrap it up there. Uh, I don't know what we're talking about next week before you ask, but I'm working. I got some irons in the fire, so let's worry about that. I have been accredited for the Raindance Film Festival, which is out of London, United Kingdom, which I'll be attending virtually, um, but no idea how much coverage there'll be. Simon, what are you doing this week other than being a working parent? Um... Uh, that's a very good question. I and am watching. Um, uh, uh, my TV is Saturday night is strictly come dancing, uh, and then Ooh. Sunday night is the strictly uh, uh, results, and then Tuesday is Bake Off. So um, we, I have turtle like withdrawn into the shell of British television. Um, Wait, sorry. Strictly come dancing has a separate results show. Yes, it has a, a performance show, and then the the uh, public have a day to vote for their favorites, and then there is a results show the next day. Oh, you learn something every day. <laughs> Do you know what's so interesting is watching the American version, which is called um, Dancing with the Stars, mm-hmm. uh, at the same time as the British one, and it's unwatchable. Like It is so bad like to fit into that sort of demographic it's so different in key ways it's very interesting but that's a different conversation hmm. um i am catching up on, with what we do in the shadows i've just finished season three finally nice. and and season four is waiting for me with its hands open so i will be going into that because you know my my wife is finally watching that show and we just got to the end of season one in the vampiric council and that whole vampiric council scene is fucking yeah. aces yeah yeah Tilda Swinton. I mean, you don't have to spend too much time in hair and no. makeup to make Tilda Swinton a vampire. Honestly, the best part of that whole episode is Evan, the the dark princess, who is Evan Rachel Wood. <laughs> There's a moment where like the main characters are being sentenced to uh, to die, and she like has. There's just a cutaway to her, and she's like, "That's fucking rough." <laughs> like, it's just so perfect. Uh, yeah. I might be I might be in love with it, Rachel Wood, but don't tell me <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little Just bit. Just a touch. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho. Oh, okay, I've got a question for you before you finish, because we um you you're watching horror movies with your wife, and for those that don't you know, don't know, your wife is quite the horror aficionado. Um and she watches a lot of horror movies and she likes big like um pedestal like monument movies as well and uh she likes end of the world movies more specifically so and she likes a couple of movies that i'm in which makes me happy but my question for you is what makes her scared like what kind of movie scares her does anything actually scare her because your wife is super cool and super chilled and she's the clearly easily the coolest person any of us know including (laughs) including ourselves and so I can't imagine her getting freaked out at anything, but what freaks her out? What kind of horror movie at Halloween freaks her out? Uh, that's a good question. It seems like the answer is kind of inconsistent, actually. Um, like, she was watching the uh, early 2000s remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre the other day, mm-hmm. and which, to be fair, I, I kind of like, too. I'm not... I don't think it's as good as the original, but it's interesting. And uh, I was like, you know what? I'm not feeling this. I'm just going to go in the other room. And she's like, you can't leave me alone with this one, man. <laughs> and like, so like, there's definitely stuff that freaks her out. 
Um, but it's hard to put a pin because, like, at the same time, she'll watch other super gory stuff and be like, mm-hmm. eh, "It's fine. It's whatever. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's fine." Um, I think I think the jump scare in Sinister gets her every time. It gets me every time. Is that the nun or is that the guy coming up behind Patrick Wilson? I forget which of these movies does. Not, neither. Neither. Oh. Sinister is one with Ethan Hawke, uh, where he lives in a house where murders occurred. Oh, okay. Uh, the ones you're thinking about are uh, The Conjuring 2 and Insidious 1, respectively. The problem is, I really hate jump scares. I really hate them. I, I enjoy horror where it's slow burning and the, 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 the screws are turned. I find jump scares really cheap and they actually take away my enjoyment of movies, which is why I didn't watch Babadook for the longest time, which I really regret because that is an incredible movie. So I don't, we don't, we don't have another hour to talk about this, but jump scares (laughs) are only cheap when deployed cheaply. But the way they make me feel is not fun. I don't like them. I don't like how I feel. Yeah. But I'm just saying that like, there's definitely like you can, you can use them well or poorly like any other cinematic tool. And there's only like in the movie um, Sinister, there's only one, legit jump scare and it is so it's maybe the best jump scare it is so well deployed uh and the rest of the movie is exactly what you're describing <laughs> like in terms of like the slow burn like right yeah. maybe i'll watch it then yeah i mean the jump scare in descent is really good maybe i do like good ones after all maybe I'll yeah think that. this is the thing i find that uh, i found that a lot of people in my conversations about film say they don't like jump scares well, it turns out is they just don't like cheap jump scares. They don't like right. prolific jump scares. They want the jump scare to be deployed in a way that is meaningful and not just like every five minutes for because with directors and no one else to do. Dude, this is our show next week. Let's just do uh, what we love about horror movies for an hour next week for our Halloween show. Yeah, I mean, there's worse, uh, there's worse ideas. There's worse ideas. <laughs> and we'll just watch as much as we can this week. Yeah. Anyway, we should probably go. It's been an hour. Uh, So let's wrap it up there. Thank you to everyone who is listening today. Uh, It does once more seem like there's a couple more of you. So everyone who's new, welcome. Everyone who is not new, also welcome. We love all of you. (laughs) Hooray. Hello. Uh, We record this here uh, in Vancouver on the unceded lands of the Musqueam and Tsleil-Waututh and Squamish nations. If you like what you have heard, Please consider donating to our Patreon uh, or Kofi, which you can find in the show notes or on your podcasting platform of choice. Just hit that subscribe button and the auto download button and give us a five star review. That's actually maybe, I mean, money's nice, but that's also maybe even more meaningful. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us, we are on the socials. You can find us at Awesome Friday CA on the Twitters. You can find me at Smatthew AF on the Twitters and him at temporary pen on the Twitters. And we have an email form on the website. So go to awesomefriday.ca and find all of our other content and all the other things we do. And yeah, that is about it. Uh, uh, once again, I am Matthew. He is Captain Hot Takes. And, <laughs> Mister. Thank, you, and thank you for joining us on this awesome Friday. <laughs> Bye.